and may or may not be trying to manipulate you, but I am very grateful that you're here. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation? If you're new to the Christian faith, you can thank me later. Revelation is really easy to find. Just go to the back and turn left. If you get to like uh, Matthew, you've gone too far. Revelation 10, I, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book in his, open in his hand. And he set it on his, his right foot on the sea. This is like Jolly Green Giant here. Right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Let's, let's stop there and just ask the Lord for his guidance. God, would you be with us this morning and speak to us through your word? You said that it would be a light to our feet, a lamp for our path. And I know that everybody in here, including and not limited to me, <laughs> needs that at every point of our lives. And so we invite you to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many... Uh, would count yourself amongst uh, if curious. Like where you grew up, were you a curious person, getting yourself in trouble, being curious? Yeah, I, I definitely was that. Like I got myself in a lot of trouble. Because what does curiosity do to the cat? Yeah. But then satisfaction brought him back. <laughs> my dad said that um, one of his uh, moments, because my dad was... When he went into my bedroom after I graduated, it had been the first time my dad had been in my room for a while, clearly, like years, because it was upstairs, and you know, dear God, you don't want to go up the stairs. And, and he's, he didn't know what had been going on up there. For, and, and so he, he remarked at one point that he was shocked at how many of the outlets had little black burn marks around them, which was all of them, because I spent my life as a kid with the one question really was, what would happen if I did that? I wonder what would happen if I tried this. <laughs> and it uh, got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, and I, at one point, I actually, we were, uh, we were super rednecks. And so we, um, we had a bathtub in the backyard, uh, <laughs> the cast iron kind. And uh, it's really funny. I didn't realize how redneck that really was until I just said that out loud. Um, but we had minnows in there for fish bait so you could sell them to the other rednecks. And... And, but the minnows kept dying because there's no oxygen in it. So I thought, my dad worked on air conditioners, and there were air conditioning motors and those little fans on them. So I thought, well, I'll just strap one of those to the side of the bathtub. I don't know if I've ever even told you this. And I had the little, and it was genius. It was working. Like the, the little spinny thing was spinning in the water and creating. And, and I reached in, and I, and I bumped it, and it fell into the bathtub. And I, what I remember next was... <laughs> <laughs> was looking up at the, at the sky and my head hurting really, really bad and me thinking, I cannot tell my parents that I just did that. <laughs> you see, they say that knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Which, you know, what is it? Knowing half the battle. Go, Joe. The problem with knowing being half the battle 
is that's, there's still a whole other half. <laughs> and if you get half of the answers right on a test at school, you fail. I'm reading Revelation this week, and I see God say to John, hey, don't write that down. You don't get to know that. Which is shocking when you think about it, because this is in a book called Revelation. Revealing. We want to show you things. Reveal things you didn't see, but, but not that one. Don't write that down. And I wonder if there is a reason for that, other than John saying, nan and a boo-boo, I know something you don't know. If really what it's saying is God, in his word, he, every jot, every tittle, everything is inspired. He chose to put that in there so that we would know not to know. Why would he do that? Why would he take up precious space in a book that was already pretty big to stack some more? And we, we, you don't get to know that. Maybe is there possibly a blessing in not knowing some things? Is there a positive benefit to this? If you ask the owner of Sadie the Persian cat, uh, she would tell you yes. Sadie was owned by a dear friend of mine a, a long time ago. If you've been around me a while, you know a few things about me. One is I don't like cats. If you're pro-cat, I get it. I'm okay with it. I just don't. Cats are takers. Do you know what I'm saying? They're not givers. When, the, when you get home, like when we get home, our dog is so excited to see us. He's, I don't know how anything worked. I don't know where the lights were. Thank God you're home. He's so thrilled. <laughs> but the cats, you know, where's the food? What can we, so we're not really pro-cat. Now, we have a cat, which is kind of a ghost, who, but at the, at the farm, the idea is not what, if you get an animal, you have to ask the question, what do you bring to the table? Not what do you take away from it? Cats are takers. But you put the cat out in the field, and the cat eats the mice. It prov, you know, provides a service, and so we'll slide some food out there every once in a while. You can't keep them too well-fed, because you, you, know, you want them to eat the mice. Uh, and he does, and by the way, does great. <laughs> he's like, he's a fat cat, because he is killing it with the mice. Sadie, on the other hand, was, uh, was short for Satan. <laughs> and my dear friend moved away, and I promised, and you know, the, have, you ever got the, have you ever done the yeah, yeah? The, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. That's called the yeah, yang, and you, if you get yourself in trouble every time you yeah, yeah yourself into something. And I yeah, yeah myself in, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take care of this. I'll find this cat a home. And so we took the cat initially to my friend uh, Janelle, uh, Janelle's house, and Janelle had a, you know how they say that the cat and the owner often look alike? Janelle was a red-headed girl, and she had this red Persian cat, and it was like, that's all I'm saying. And so but we thought, we'll take Sadie can go live with Bob the cat. Robert Cat was the name of her cat. And, and Robert had a gimp leg, and... So we unload the, uh, the deal, and Sadie went and, I mean, attempted to basically kill Robert the cat. And then attempted to kill all of us. Like, I don't, if, you know the, movie, the part of the movie where the, where the demons come out and stuff, and like, you're just like, everybody's got to leave the house? That's what happened with this cat. Like, sounds were coming from, you can YouTube crazy cats and hear some of the sounds that came from Sadie that day. We finally tricked her into, um, we finally tricked her into the kennel, and I ended up dumping her on a, um, a, a friend of a mutual friend of Carrie and I is actually Carrie's uh, brother-in-law, his old apartment, and and, uh, and 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 we left her there. And I don't even know why uh, why his <laughs> his friend would have taken this cat because they were living creatively, shall we say, 
uh, during those days of their lives. And, but so I guess for some reason, a, a demonic cat made sense to them. But what happened eventually was they opened the door and the demonic cat ran out into the parking lot and they never saw her again. So when my friend asked, how, uh, how is the cat doing? Loved this cat. I said, oh, good, great. Just, oh, the new owners, they're just, I lied through my 21-year-old teeth. I was telling this story on a radio show that I did before I got fired from it, and the guy that was in the studio with me when we go on a break goes, dude, tell me something. Was this cat, like, was it Woodland Hills Apartments at 71st and Memorial in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Yes. Dude, I found that cat. My, my mom has Persian cats in St. Louis. He's been living large in St. Louis for the last two years, fat and happy. <laughs> it was just a blessing that they just didn't know. <laughs> there was a blessing that she didn't know what happened to Satan, the cat. And as it turned out, the cat was doing just fine. What are the chances, right? <laughs> it made good radio that day. Uh, and I actually sent pictures, and I was able to send pictures. Look, it's in St. Louis, and I, I kind of skipped the part. And someday in heaven, we'll probably need to come clean about what we really did, because it was winter and it was cold. I just assumed, you know, but it, it wasn't. It actually went really well. So there's a blessing in not knowing where your cat went. There's a blessing in not knowing sometimes what's going on around you, because it's like a lot crazier than you think. But why would God say that there's a blessing in not knowing what the thunders were saying and we don't need to know this? How many of you know that thunder is the sound of lightning? If you don't, listen to this. This is in Jackson, Tennessee. That was a lightning strike. And it kind of keeps going like the thunder does. When John hears the thunder, he's hearing the sound of something happening, and Jesus says, don't say anything about that. Hold off on that. Now, myself, being an insatiable, curious kid, that kind of ticks me off a little bit, because I want to know. I want to understand. I want to, and there's a blessing in knowing. That's half the battle, but there's a blessing in not knowing the other half. The Bible says someday I will know, clearly know, as I am clearly known. But for this period of time, there are some things that I don't get to know. And I think that it's not only okay, that it's a blessing. And in your lives, in my lives, there are things right, probably right now, a promotion you didn't get. What's happening in your marriage? What's happening with your family? What's happening in your job or your lives? Or you moved here for something and it didn't happen and you want to know and you don't know is it possible that that's actually not only okay, but beneficial to us? I have prayed about it for a couple of weeks, and I don't believe this is necessarily a comprehensive list, but I think that there are three things that I could really pray through and think through that are actually a benefit for you, for the things that you don't know, and it doesn't mean you won't know it forever, but you, for, for now when you don't know it, there's a benefit to that that maybe you didn't even think about that maybe if you just let go of the, the pursuit and the frustration and relax into God and realize, oh, that's okay. Because the first thing it does for us is it keeps us humble. Uh, if I were to describe to you somebody who was demanding, wants what they want right now, no matter what time of day or what time of night it is, I want you to do that for me. It's me 
I want it. I, I, I know exactly what I want. And what, you know, that kind of a person we'd maybe say was arrogant, selfish, or, or you might also say it was a baby. They're cute, though. You get away with a lot with that. It's, they get away with it. But that's, at the end of the day, kind of how I come off to God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I want it now. I want to know. I want to. That's why I think that in the book of Psalms, you don't have to turn there. I'll put it up here for the sake of time. But in the book of Psalm, chapter 131, David actually wrote, he said that, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I've calmed and I've quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Like a weaned child. David wrote this pretty much at the end of his life. He didn't get this overnight. But he was saying that, you know what, there are some things, that's above my pay grade, and I don't understand it. It's too haughty, it's too high, it's too much for me. And I need to, like a weaned child, just relax into it. When our first daughter was born, Madeline, uh, you'll recognize her because of half of the purple hair, it's hard to miss. She was the best car traveler like ever. I remember us driving to like Minnesota, like forever. And she'd just lock into the car seat and just sleep. And I'm like, man, what's everybody talking about? This isn't hard, these kids, you know, everybody's talking about how hard these kids are. And then we had Ashley. We had given birth to a pterodactyl, <laughs> which for 12 hours, like white knuckling while she's right behind my head. I mean, just. And, it was, and I was, man, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I didn't do well with it, but I tried so hard. Because, you know, with that, that shrill, no matter what kind of noise cancellation you're going on, it does not cancel that noise. And the difference between Madeline and Ashley, which are both, it's funny now, Ashley's like this super calm and soft and very sweet. And it's like, but you remember when you were a pterodactyl? Because I totally remember that. But eventually, Ashley dialed in. <laughs> Because she was getting to Minnesota one way or the other. I had her best interests in mind. She's in the car seat because that was safe. We were going to Minnesota to see family. Everything we were doing was good for her, but she couldn't comprehend it. And look, you know how it is. We used to have this, I say this around my house, I do not negotiate with terrorists nor two-year-olds because terrorists and two-year-olds do not necessarily deal logically. You can talk to a two-year-old logically, and they don't get it, and here's why their brains aren't even wired yet to get it. So there's a moment where, because I said so, is the only answer you can give, because that's all they're wired to get. And I truly believe that in this, this side of heaven, that there are things that God hasn't told us, didn't tell us, not because he's holding out on us, but because in our fallen nature, where our minds are now, where our brains, we're not wired yet to get it. And he can explain it until he's blue in the face, and we won't get it. If we'll relax into 
that He is God and I am not, and trust Him. And over the years, like David, after you see it over and over and over again, you, you see these terrible things and the hurt and the pain, but then you see, no, on the other side, I came out of that. And then you stand in heaven one day before Him in our faith to say that one day I'm going to stand before Him and say, righteous and true are your judgments, God. Not because He's forcing me to, not because he's got a gun to my head, but because I literally will be so blown away by how it all worked out and how he was in everything working. If I keep my eyes on that, then there are some things that it's a blessing that I don't know because it keeps me humble. It reminds me who I am because when I start trying to rise up on it, then I start trying to solve problems that aren't mine to solve. If you're a parent, you might know this. If you young parents, you'll figure this out someday. One of the more frustrating things, especially in our house, is when one of the siblings tries to parent the other sibling. Like, I'm standing right here. I got it. I don't need your help. I didn't hire you as an intern. <laughs> but when you've got them bossing each other around, what you, they're doing is stepping into something that they think they got it all figured out. They think they know, but then it turns out, oh, that's why you did it that way. Oh, being humble is just, oh, I can just relax into this. And remember, this is who I am, and that I let God take care of that. It not only keeps us humble when the thunders are raging, and I'm wondering what is going on behind this, and I think, okay, I can trust that these thunder, this sound of this lightning, that God's got it under control. It also, it actually keeps us useful. You guys remember George Washington Carver? If you don't, in the 1800s, he was a slave that had been freed, and he found his way to a university and, and overcame so many odds. But he, he tells the story of, of saying to God, please show me the works of the universe. I want to understand the universe. And he said that the Lord told me no, and there was no blessing in that question. And then he, he sort of narrowed it down. Well, then what about the human body? I want to know about that and to show me the, the wondrous works of the physiology and and he didn't feel any sort of a freedom or a blessing in that question. And finally, he was like, what is the smaller? It's almost like, think smaller, think smaller, think smaller. Until he got to the peanut. And he felt God say, yes, learn about the peanut. Which sounds absolutely crazy when you think about it. But George Washington Carver would change my life. <laughs> and the lives of many others around the world. When he invented a little thing called peanut butter. He would discover hundreds of uses for the peanut, for crying out loud for the peanut. By letting God, him say, look, I don't understand that. I don't understand this, but if I can just get my mind wrapped around this, God can allow me to be useful to others around me. People have said to me from time to time, you know, hey, teach me how you study the Bible or I don't know how you know all these things about the Bible and and then the truth is, is there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of guys a lot smarter than me out there that know, that have forgotten more about the Bible than I know. But I can say that what I do know about the Bible, the reason I know about this is if you were to come to my house, you'll see that that's pretty much all I do. All I know is a better way to put it. I don't really know much else. You won't come to my house and see a car up on blocks with a transmission pulled in it, fixing it. You won't see me remodeling the bathroom and retiling it. I don't know any of that stuff. And what makes it useful is, this is what God has wired in me, this curiosity that used to you know, almost burn the house down. Now I aim it at the scriptures and how does this work and why is that that way? And, but 
Let me tell you what, if my, your car's broke down, what you don't want is me. You don't want me showing up to teach you the Bible while the car is broken in the driveway. You don't want the prophet to come and prophesy against the car. You want Joe Spino there. When the computer is messed up, you don't, I promise you don't want me messing with it. You're going to want Gus, or you're going to want Ren. You're gonna, there, are, there are, all of us have these things that we do that if we will allow us to say, I'm going to know this and I'm going to know this well. It means that I might not know some other things, but that's okay because it allows me to be useful and you get to be useful to me and we become the body of Christ together. In our home, there's things that Shannon is really, really, really good at and things that I'm really not. And it's very useful, the things that she does around the house that I promise you, if she wasn't there, our house might look a little different if you came over today. The food might taste a little different. The atmosphere might be, that. what is that smell might be a question you would ask if I were in charge of that. The Bible actually at one point says to think of others as better than you, which is a scripture that I was like, what do you mean by that? And here's what I think it means. To recognize in you here in this room, every single one of you are better at something than I am and a lot better. And I recognize that in you and if we come together as a body, as a church, not only in our personal lives, but in the kingdom as a whole, that we can be useful to each other. It's such a gift from God. The thunders rolling, the storm raging, making a lot of noise. But if we will just say, the body of Christ is at its best when we just say, Hey, there are some things that I'm not very good at, but there are others around. And so I can say what I'm really good at, I can invest that in somebody's life. When somebody's moving next week, Betsy, she's going to move. She doesn't, you know, she's not, she's not going to lift the heavy washer overhead. We can be useful to her so the, the storm, so to speak, of a move is calmed a little bit because we're being useful to each other in that way. And that is in the simple things like a move, and it is in the big things like death and like tragedy that we can be useful in each other's life. Not by knowing more, but sometimes by knowing less and knowing more just about a small thing with it so that you can be useful, you can be humble. And, and probably the most profound purpose of not knowing some things is, I think, is the fact that it keeps us peaceful. And here's what I mean about that. In our body alone, our just family of conduit, there have been unspeakable tragedies. It was three years ago that, was it three years for Matt? Two and a half years ago when our little buddy Matt LaRocca went to be with Jesus. He was 12 and I remember getting the phone call and we were doing an outreach for uh, drug and alcohol, uh, and it was uh, they said crash cart, and I, just, I looked to Tamara, who is a nurse, an ER nurse who works for Vanderbilt, and I was like, okay, what does crash mean, crashing? And she's like, oh my God, you've got to go, you've got to go. And I remember walking into that room thinking, uh, well, when is the real pastor going to get here? Because this is like, we were a church for just not very long, like a year. 
And I just thought, man, I just wanted to feed some kids in Haiti. I didn't know about that. And walking into this room and seeing his, his lifeless body and his parents and thinking, why, God, why? And I heard a story about a pastor in Oregon that actually brought me quite a bit of peace. His name is John Corson. And when he was just a young pastor in his early 30s, his wife, Terry, died in a car accident with little children. He's got a church of, at that point, probably a thousand people. And he tells the story of going to the coast that day. They're in Medford, Oregon. They drove out to the coast and to tell his children that mommy wasn't coming home. And he had, uh, it was a five-year-old Peter John and his two-year-old Jesse. Jesse, who incidentally would also go home to be with Jesus when she was 16 in the same exact kind of car accident with the exact same injuries and x-rays. But then he didn't know that, and he remembers, he said, I, I told my kids, Mommy's going to be in, in heaven, and he talks about, you know, the little boy saying, oh, can she fly? Can she? And he said that Jessie, the little girl, said her only thing she knew to say at three, like two or half or three, which was, oh, no, oh, no. And uh, they prayed that night, and he was supposed to speak to their church the next morning. And he said he drove home, got the kids in bed. He said, I changed the diapers, which, he, you know, again, being useful, he hadn't really known much about that. and said it probably should have been changed a little sooner. <laughs> but he finally got them bathed and in bed. And he said, I sat there in my couch, and I, I, I heard the audible voice of God say to me, John, did I not promise you a peace that would pass understanding, that would surpass it? And haven't I given that to you? And he said, I just said, yeah, I really have felt a peace. It's this strange peace. I feel it in me. And he said that God told him in those moments to never seek a peace that comes from understanding. That's not what he promised us. What he promised us was a peace that would surpass understanding. And standing in that hospital room two and a half years ago, thinking, this is above my pay grade, the thunder was roaring, and I remembered those words of, okay, I can't get a peace that comes from understanding. It has to surpass it. And here's what is amazing. As we stood in that room and as we then gathered in another room in the hospital, there was this remarkable peace. Peace. And I didn't understand it because when I started going for the why, the why, I mean, seriously, God, why? But when I let go of that and said, oh, there's a peace that surpasses understanding. The blessing of not knowing and the peace that passes understanding, why is it that? Why did he not choose to do it the other way and say, oh, I'm going to give you a peace and I'm going to explain it to you. And you know why? Because I would argue. Have you been on the Facebook, the Twitter? People argue over everything. The most logical thing could be put out there, and there is somebody that is going to just, oh, no, no, I think this, I don't know. Wouldn't we just do that to God? But God, I appreciate that, but what did you think about this, or what about this? If it's about my mind, then my mind short circuits, and at some point, God has to say, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Again, someday we get to know, but in the meantime, he's not holding out on me. He's just saying there's a peace that doesn't come from understanding. It surpasses it, and there is a blessing in that peace because if he gave me the other peace, I'd be arguing with it, 
And it would actually, I believe, be more of a curse than it would be a blessing. Think about it. For the mother of a child who's been murdered, for the father of a child that they've lost, if God told you why, would it really matter? You just want your baby back. Why? Really, at some point, becomes irrelevant. I just want him home. There's a a great example of this in the scriptures of a promise that from a guy named Job. And Job obviously heard the thunders rolling as the storm raged in his life and he lost after child and his wife and his possessions. And, and you follow the story arc of Job and you see something. You see he had his three friends that all tried to tell him why. And if you look at it, man, they make some pretty good sense. Well, you should have done this or you should have done that. And shoulda, shoulda, woulda, coulda. And in Job 38... We don't have time to turn there, but I'll go there later and, and see if you, if, you, if you agree with me. In Job 38, when God gets the opportunity to finally defend himself and say, okay, Job, here's what really happened. There was this thing, and Satan and I made a bet, and, and, you, and I won because you did this. And when he gets to that opportunity, he says to Job, did you hang the stars in the sky? Did you lay the foundations of the earth? Did you hang the world on nothing and the Leviathan? And he doesn't even explain himself. He just reads him his resume. Not because he's trying to hold out on Job. He's just saying, look, there are things in the universe you don't understand. Not because you don't want to. Not because I don't want you to. But because you can't. Not yet. And he tells these other three guys who meant well, hey, look, you guys, go get you your rams. And you need to go sit in a corner and think about what you've done. Go sit in some sackcloth and some ashes, and I'll tell you when you come out of the corner. Because that's not why. And when it comes to telling him why, he didn't tell him why. He just says, you're going to have to trust me on this one. I hung the stars in the sky. I. And so Job would talk about the blessing of that. And the blessing of even if he knew, would it have mattered, really? And in our lives this morning, I know that there are those of us who've got the thunder and the lightning going on in our lives, just like at some point in the future, this prophetic thing is going to happen. But right now in your own life, it doesn't really matter what's going to happen in Revelation 10 when there's thunder and storms and lightning in your own life. How do I even get through this, let alone to that? And we talked about it a little last week, but it's worth going back to. In 2 Kings, and we're going to land on this, chapter 2. The story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha would say to Elijah, knowing that it was about to be time, Elijah says, hey, what do you want? What can I do for you before I leave? And Elisha says, hey, give me, 2, Corinthians, or 2 Kings 9, give me a double portion blessing. Give me double of everything that you had. I want a double of that. And Elijah's like, well, you've not asked an easy thing here. And he tells him, if you will, when I'm taken up, if you keep your eyes on me, if you see me being taken up, then this will happen for you. You will be blessed if you keep your eyes on me. And I have been so blown away these last couple weeks because if you'd asked me two weeks ago, how did Elijah go to heaven? I would have told you he was taken up in a fiery chariot. But that's not what happened. He was taken up in a whirlwind. So set the scene. He's talking, he's walking, and he sees 
this fiery chariot coming down. Now, what did Elijah say? If you see me being taken up, then you will get the double portion. Keep your eyes on your master. And in comes the lightning, the fire of this chariot. Me? I would have been looking at the chariot. Not Elisha. Like, holy goodness, that's a fiery chariot. That's awesome. Or that's terrifying. That's horrifying. A chariot on fire? I mean, I literally had to chase, our, our donkey has tasted of forbidden love. He escaped last week, you remember the story. Well, he found him a girlfriend across the street. <laughs> and yesterday, we were working out in the barn and left the barn door open, and I've never seen him do this before. He, he saw his opening and he sprinted across the street, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> but let me tell you what, when you're trying to catch even a little donkey who is love-struck, it's kind of scary. He tried to kick me. He tried to bite me. <laughs> he's, like, he's listening to like a, like a Chicago song in his mind. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> he's like kicking around. I'm like, oh, Earl, I thought we were friends, dude. <laughs> so imagine Earl on fire with a chariot behind him running by. That's frightening. That's terrifying. I would have had my eyes on the fiery Earl in <laughs> the fiery chariot and not have my eyes on the master. And what I really felt like the Lord said for us, for you, for me, is there's a lot of fire going on here. There's a lot of storms. And you, don't, you focusing on that, because what John saw was worth looking at. He's writing about it. And Jesus, the angel, said, don't write about that. Instead, write about Jesus. Elisha, keep your eye on the master, no matter what kind of fire is brewing around you. Disciples, keep your eyes on Jesus. Peter, jumping out of the boat, keep your eyes on your master. When we get our eyes on the storm around us, the thunder, the lightning, we don't have our eyes on the master, and it sinks us every time. We have an opportunity today to get our eyes on the master. If our worship leaders would come back and join us, I would like to acknowledge first to say, I know some of you in here have real live thunder and lightning in your life right now. And I don't know why it's happening. And I bet you don't either. Why did my kids do this? Why are they acting this way? Why, and why, why, why? And you could then self-analyze yourself and you could be, you could be focused 100% on the storm, trying to figure out the storm figuring out the how, the when, the who, the where, the why. And the thing is, is even if you figured that out, you've only gotten halfway there anyway. Even G.I. Joe knows that. My hope this morning is those of us that have gathered together, those of you battling sickness, those of you battling depression, those of you battling for your marriage, those of you just battling Satan in a hundred different places. We could all take our eyes and put them back on Jesus. Why would he put this in the middle of Revelation? I used to teach, and I'll tell you next week why I think that this is Jesus and not an angel. I used to think that this was an angel because Jesus, chronologically speaking, he's not in this part of the earth. This is the tribulation period. The church is not in here. I'll tell you next week why I think it is Jesus, why the, it's the angel of the Lord, why it's Jesus who's standing there. But what I think the purpose of it to be right in the middle of Revelation is to say that no matter what storm is raging in your life, no matter how bad it is, and let me tell you what, Revelation 9, we went through that. It was bad. 
Jesus is still standing right in the middle of it, one hand on the, the land, one hand on the sea. He's got it under control. And just like Ashley, driving to Minnesota, you can do it Ashley's way or you can do it Maddie's way. You can scream and holler or you can relax like a weaned child and say, no, my mama's got this, my daddy's got this. I mean, if you're a four-year-old and you're worried about how the bills are going to get paid, or how, I mean, that, of course you do. It's above your thing. You don't need to be doing that. You can relax into it and say, no. I mean, of everything Ethan, my son, has got on his mind today, what he does not have on his mind is, are we going to be able to afford health care? He's not thinking about that. And if he did, it's above his thing, and he'd be all stressed out. So it's like, oh, I could be like David. I could be like a weaned child and say, no, no, God's got this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go play in the woods. That's what Ethan did yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to go explore. I'm going to go follow my father and follow and obey what he's asked me to do and knowing that this other thing's taken care of. And I can relax in the blessing of not knowing. Father, would you give us wisdom today in our own lives of how to relax into your presence how to know that you've got this under control and that the stuff that I don't know, that if I just, I give that back to you and trust you for that is in and of itself what faith is. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We've, we've got communion tables over here. And let me tell you this morning something. When you don't understand what's happening in your life or why maybe something happened bad and you still maybe wrestle with it, I would encourage you to do something called cross-examining it. I don't know why Matt wasn't healed. I don't. But I know that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. I know that he didn't have to give up his heavenly throne and come to earth. I know that he didn't have to. He said could have called down 10,000 angels and called the whole thing off. He didn't have to do any of it, but he did it. And so what I know is that of everything else I don't understand, the thunder, the lightning, I understand that God is good. What kind of a God would do that, a good one? When he said, do this often in remembrance of me, of Jesus, it's our opportunity to get our eyes back on the master and off of the fiery chariot. Because you know what, fiery chariots, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They burn out and there'll be another one and there'll be another one because that's what happens in a fallen earth. Things catch on fire, storms come. But I can take it back to the cross every time and say, okay, this is your body. You, bro you were broken for me. The blood that you shed was shed for me with me in mind. I can cross-examine it and say, I don't get that, but I get Jesus, and I give it to you. And that cross is the bridge between my understanding and God's reality. I'm going to say it again. The cross is the bridge between my understanding and God's reality. I can't get there on my own, but I can walk across the bridge of the cross and find God's reality for me. As we worship, the communion is available for you. I would encourage you not to rush out today, but to just relax into the presence of God and to get your eyes off of the storm and your eyes onto the master.